Was it the Cape Drive time? Welcome back to the show. 0829913913. What do you think? Uh, it's hot, isn't it? Uh, 36 degrees in the CBD uh, right now. Uh, somebody coming up uh, through WhatsApp on our article, on our, not article, our interview about Munnenberg. I agree with you, Shafiq. They need to come out there. It's a police. It's terrible in Munnenberg where the gangsters get the guns from. I don't know. Well, historically, they got them from the police. Uh, there's a famous court case that uh, is, uh, should be ongoing in which a um, member of a community was involved in smuggling guns uh, to the gangsters, uh, some three to 4,000 of them. Let's go to uh, overcoming COVID-19 with the resilience of Sharpful. While it is important to remember the sacrifice of those who lost their lives in 1960 in the fight for freedom, it is also important to look inward, focus on individual healing, and reflect on the losses pre- and post-COVID-19. That is the opinion of lecturer in the Department of Sociology at the University of Free State, Nombelelo Shangi. Nombelelo, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me on your show. Pleasure. Quickly, um, for some of our listeners who hear the word sociology, and to them it's a very fancy word, <laughs> what, is, what exactly is sociology? Um, that's a very loaded and complicated question. <laughs> um, but in short, it's the study of society right. and how society functions. So within sociology, there's many different disciplines. I, for the most part, um, write and work and teach around gender. Mm-hmm. Um, I teach, uh, I do a lot of research on um, African traditional religion and indigenous knowledge, but these are disciplines that don't necessarily exist in sociology. Some of the um, older, more traditional disciplines are everything from sociology of health and illness, so how the body works, um, how the external environment affects the body, and um, so on and so forth in terms of helping doctors to administer holistic healing. But as I said, the discipline is always changing. Today, with things like 4IR, you also get sociologists who work on digital things um, and how to help um, people transition into this new age of technology. So it's, it's, it's very vast and it's very big. I understand. So, so could one say then in summary that sociology um, and here I'm being quite crude, is probably a study of the collective as opposed to the individual. Yes. So in a lot of ways, it's like psychology, but it's focused on how the collective works together as opposed to how the individual. And I think that's one of the critiques of the disciplines that often we leave out the individual in, in how we try and make sense of society. Well, interestingly, um, in your article, you've tried to tackle both, haven't you? Um, In terms of using the Sharpful massacre and COVID-19 as signposts of um, communal healing. That's how I understand it in my very simple way. But it is important, isn't it? But then you go on to use the word Ubuntu. A word yes. that is really uh, has become a not a swear word has become a cliche because it's mm-hmm. so used, and you are now trying to unflesh it, as it were, and give it yeah. its proper meaning again. Yes, um, so it's it, it's very similar to the work that I do in my own research on indigenous knowledge and trying to understand and make sense of old, often lost um, traditional practices, and it's, it's it's as you say, Ubuntu in the past 
has almost become vulgar. We're used to hearing it. It doesn't resonate with people anymore. It's often used as um, a way for certain individuals to advance and benefit themselves at the expense of everybody else. And part of what I've tried to do in my other more academic research, but also in this paper as well, is for the past few years, I've been trying to theorize and build on our knowledge of understanding concepts such as Ubuntu, um, what the intended meaning was historically. And because sociology also believes that society is always changing, everything is constructed. So the way things were 100 years ago is not going to be the same today, even within the same cultural context. Um, so in my theorizing and in my building on this discourse, I also theorize on... Um, seeing how Ubuntu should fit into the modern-day context. And I think I, I tried to illustrate that today to say the way that we should be making sense of Ubuntu and understanding Ubuntu is also as a system that values the individual because even in its main theoretical tenant, which we often don't um, kind of consider, it starts with the I before it moves on to the we and the collective. And I think that was... Um, done quite intentionally by the people who um, kind of came up with this philosophy all those years and years and centuries ago. Yeah, because I think, I, I, um, to me, I, I think we um, do Ubuntu a disservice by taking it out of its phrase or sentence, because if I remember correctly, it starts off with Nga, N-G-A, mm. which means I. And then yes. it goes into uh, collective we, and then it goes to Ubuntu. Do you think that we, maybe we, we need to use the full phrase? Because a full phrase explains to us a process, which is Ubuntu. Ubuntu is not an abstract noun. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's almost similar to what I was um, reflecting earlier on to say even within sociology, one of our critiques is that as a discipline, we don't um, fully um, consider the individual. It's not to say we must consider the individual to the extent of, um, you know, jeopardizing the collective um, meaning and understanding of society because we already have psychologists for that. But it, it, it's very problematic and very flawed, um, uh, both in the in the regard of how we often frame Ubuntu, but also by extension in my own discipline where um, we often try to make sense of the collective without thinking about the people that make up that collective because the people that make up that collective um, have very um, distinct individual characteristics that um, have an impact on how the collective functions and how the collective um, relates and interacts with each other. So to look at them in isolation um, is often a mistake. And when that happens, we, we, we see the kind of angst and anxiety that a lot of people are feeling um, currently. And, and again, in the opinion piece, I mentioned that even before COVID-19, there was issues around poverty, um, issues around sense of self um, that individuals um, have been battling with and have been struggling with because of interracial, I mean, intergenerational traumas um, stemming back from apartheid, stemming back from a whole host of traumas and struggles that they've um, experienced and gone through. And so it's important for us to ourselves 
um, start to think about putting ourselves first. Um, but also for us as theorists and for us as scholars and academics and people in different spaces to also start to consider the individual for the strength of the collective, but also for people's well-being and mental health. Yeah, very true, because uh, what you've been describing is what I suppose they would call a social angst, like a deep, dark rabbit hole. And Mm -hmm. incorrectly, after 1994, all South Africans felt that materialism was something that could replace the social angst. And now we've got Mm. a new social angst, which is um, the rich-poor divide, as opposed to, I suppose, a more ideal society where there would be a little bit more equality, a little bit more redistribution of the wealth that there is. I mean, that that's true because we, we see that the, the goals of um, the old liberation struggle haven't been um, achieved, right? Mm. So that idea that uh, the, the material condition was somehow going to um, build and, and create our humanity, I think, was always flawed. Um, but even if, hypothetically speaking, the goals of 94, pre-94, the struggles and the challenges that people fought for were accomplished, I still don't think that the material condition would um, restore our humanity in that way because we see a lot even in Western countries where um, social well-being is entrenched and ingrained and even in the the fiber of how the society works and um, people have access to the material things that they need to education to whatever it is and they still Um, struggle with very similar things that we struggle with. Um, One example, for instance, is a country like South Korea, which in a very short period of time has grown phenomenally economically, and the wealth has also been able to trickle down all the way to um, the sort of um, masses who were previously quite poor. But that country has one of the highest rates of suicide in the world. Um, and so that also goes to show that there's something worrying and problematic in us putting so much pressure or, or um, expectation on the material condition, um, restoring our humanity. There's a lot more introspection that needs to happen in us understanding who we are in us healing from our past pains um, and and I think that's the best way to restore our humanity not through the expectation that if I have more things or a home or whatever it is that I'll somehow feel whole as a person those are important yes especially for our human rights um, but they they will never be the things that um, help us achieve that um, final um, goal of us being full as humans and being happy as humans no, absolutely, because if one goes back to the, the Sharpeville era, I mean, resistance to apartheid, resistance to social oppression in any case, is not mm. just in meetings or marches. It's mm. more a question of the spirit, and yes. I think so is our basic humanity. So would you say that the taking that, that this is something that we need to take forward to the COVID-19 era, where almost every single South African has been traumatized in some shape or form due Mm -hmm. to the pandemic, and that um, if we look deeply into ourselves first, it becomes a lot easier to go forward as a collective. Yeah, definitely. And I think think, um, self-love 
and um, well-being is um, the greatest form of revolutionary action. And that's something that you often don't really hear or engage with in revolutionary spaces because usually the idea is to fight for the collective uh, well-being. But um, like I allude in my piece, um, really if individuals who are broken are trying to fight and access these things, um, they themselves, as the collective, that fight will also be one that is weakened. Um, Even post-liberation, post-COVID, if we as individuals have not found ways to heal, um, the collective will be disrupted. And I think we also see that in a lot of ways. Um, We see that in um, the violent crimes that South Africa has. Um, As much as we're one of the most unequal societies um, in the world, there's other countries where there's extreme poverty um, and even though there's crime in those contexts as well, the the way that the crime manifests itself there is often not as violent as it is in South Africa. And I think that's very telling. We see that the collective is broken even when it comes to gender-based violence and the way that women are treated in society, um, and not just in the home, but throughout in different institutions and in different spaces. Society, uh, South Africans have a lot of pain um, from our, our histories um, and th- the way that we end up using that pain or the outlet that we end up using for that pain is often quite destructive and quite toxic. And so um, we need to start focusing on our own individual healing so that um, as a collective we can be strong again. Lecturer in the Department of Sociology at the University of Free State, Nombolelo Shange. Thanks for chatting to us. Thank you very much.